And he waits and waits. He waits for Saul to repent. He never does. And then he anoints David, but he doesn't get to live to see him be king. And then last week, we had such a fun time learning about Abigail. And then we heard about her waiting. And now we have David, and he waits again. So do you think that this is a theme in the Bible, waiting? Well, who else has waited in the Bible? We've had uh, Abraham and Sarah as they waited for a son. We had Joseph who waited to be reunited with his brothers. And then the most excruciating of all is the 400 years that the children of Israel spent in Egypt waiting to be redeemed. I know a woman in this church, um, I can't mention her name because I didn't ask her permission, but she, ever since I have known her, which is about 10 years, she has been in an adult nursing facility. She has um, lost most of her hearing, she can hear a little bit, and her eyesight, and she's been waiting to die. But she can listen to Christian music and she has her recorder up to her ear. And she is waiting. She's waiting in the Lord's time. Her life is precious to the Lord in her waiting. And he is precious to her in her waiting. So the important things to teach us in waiting is that life goes on in the waiting. And faith is sharpened in the waiting. So turn to 1 Samuel 26. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 selected Israelite troops to search for David. This is the second time these people have betrayed David to Saul. Evidently, this was their area, and they didn't want David there. And some, one commentator suggested that they did this for money. So this time we see David out in the wilderness, and he has 600 men plus wives and families. And remember that he started out alone, and then the rabble and the discontented ones came to him. Saul, on the other hand, has a standing army of 3,000. So outnumbered and pursued by those who want to kill him, David goes to God in prayer, and he puts it to music in Psalm 54. We're going to look at that in just a minute. So let's look at verse 3. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakalah, facing Jeshua. But David stayed in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was laying inside the camp with the army camped round about him. Now, I'm picturing in my mind, if this is my movie, that the night before this happened, when David is sitting around the camp with the campfires and they're sort of hiding, they know that Saul and everybody's out there, David gets out his instrument and he sings, oops, here we go, Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. 
Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard to God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Let's go back to that other slide. Okay, here we go. So then David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who will go down to the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, says Abishai. All right. This is the first time we have mention of some of the names of people who came to David. First Chronicles mentions them more, and I'm going to show you some more of those people in a little bit. But who is Zeruiah? Zeruiah is David's older sister. She had three sons, Joab, Abishai, and what's his name? Amasa or something like that. Anyway, he, I, all of a sudden it's gone out of my head. But I'll get it back. But anyhow, so they, they, these three sons of hers were actually David's nephews. But I think they were the same age as David. These men are all in their 20s, which is going to explain something that they do next. Okay, so I'm going to skip that one. And so, um, so David and Abishai went to the army by night. Okay, this is my movie. By night. Picture the desert flooded with moonlight. And as the closer they get, they hear a strange sound. Three thousand snoring men. There was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and his soldiers lying around him. Abishai said to David, Eugene Peterson tweets, 
because this is something he tweeted. Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. Profound, right? So David is refusing to act before God acts. David took the spear and the water jug that were right beside Saul's head, and they slipped away. I, in my movie, they're, they're laughing the whole way. Not a soul saw, not a soul knew. No one woke up. They all slept through the whole thing. A blanket of deep sleep from God had fallen on them. And this has been my prayer for myself. I love this, a blanket of deep sleep from God. So here's a new prayer, ladies. You can memorize this one. Oh God, may your blanket of your deep sleep fall on me. I don't know if you wake up at three in the morning like I do, maybe this would resonate with you. Okay. So now they sneak off and they go up to the other side of the hill facing them, and they've got and when they finally stop laughing, David says, Watch this, Abner. So David goes across to the opposite hill and stood far away in the top of the mountain, a safe distance between them, and he shouts across to the army. And Abner, son of Ner, hey, Abner, wake up. How long do I have to wait for you to wake up to answer me? Abner, who's calling? <laughs> he finally wakes up. David. You're a man, aren't you? Why didn't you guard your lord, the king? Someone came to destroy your lord, the king. What you've done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, and you and your men, Abner, deserve to die because you did not guide, guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you, Abner. Where's the king's spear? And where's the water jug near his head? By this time, Saul has woken up, and he says, Is that your voice, David, my son? Yes, it is, my lord, the king. Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done, and what wrong am I guilty of? If God has stirred you up against me, then I gladly offer my life as a sacrifice. This is an echo from Psalm 54. But if it's men who have done it, let them be banished from God's presence. They have expelled me from my rightful place in God's heritage, sneering, get out of here, get out of here. They don't want David around. But David longs to be back in his home. He longs to be back with the people he can worship with. But, he says to Saul, you're not getting rid of me that easily. You will not separate me from God in life or death. The absurdity, Saul. The king of Israel, obsessed with me, a single flea, he says, or a mere partridge out on the hills. And Saul says, I sinned. Oh, come back, my dear son David. I won't hurt you anymore. You've honored me this day, treating my life as most precious, and I acted the fool, Nabal. 
Remember we heard about the fool in last chapter? David has another fool on his hands. It's the king. But he didn't strike Nabal. God did. And God is going to strike Saul. And Saul says, I've acted a fool, a real dunce, a moral clown. And David says, see what I have here, the king's fear. This is the spear that Saul threw at David when he was playing his harp in the palace. I have it. I have your spear. Let one of your servants come down and get it. And I can see. <laughs> not me. Not me. I'm not going up to David to get that spear. Uh-uh. It's God's business, he says, David says, to decide what to do with each of us in regard to what's right and who's loyal. Maybe your translation says righteous and faithful. This word loyal is huge because David is more loyal to King Saul than Abner and all of those 3,000 soldiers. He is more loyal and God is loyal to David. God put your life in my hands today, but I wasn't willing to lift a finger against God's anointed. Just as I honored your life today, may God honor my life and rescue me from all my trouble. David has God on his side, and God, he is certain, is going to rescue him. And Saul says, bless you. Dear son David, yes, do what you have to do, and yes, succeed in all you attempt. Then, it says, David went home, and Saul went home. David went his way, and Saul went home. Okay, what have we got next? Verse, chapter 27, verse 1. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing to do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and his 600 men with him left and went to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him. And David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So again, Saul hadn't told the truth when he said to David, I'll not lay a hand on you. He was going to search for him again. David was right to go into enemy territory. Now, those of you who know the 23rd Psalm know that one of the verses says, You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And this is one of those times, because David is going to go into the camp of the Philistines and live there and prosper there. So, here's a little map of where he went down to um, Ziklag. 
When David, then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. Now, when I told you about Abishai and Joab, and the other brother whose name I can't remember, um, I said that they are named in First Chronicles. So let's see if I have it here. Oh no, that was it's in First Chronicles two. A Asahel. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, and so let's look at the, some of the mighty men in First Chronicles twelve. These were men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, king of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or slim stones right-handed or left-handed. They were relatives of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. So already people are defecting. More and more people are coming to David. And then Chronicles, because it's Chronicles, goes on to name them all, which I'm not going to do. But then it lists some other people that came to David in chapter in verse 8. Some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the wilderness. They were brave warriors, ready for battle, and able to handle the shield and spears. We have bows and arrows and rock throwers and the shields and spears. Their faces were the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. I love the writer of First Chronicles who. These were some kind of men, and there were 11 of them, and they had faces like lions. I mean, don't you picture some sort of Celtic flying red hair and red beards and men in loincloths running through the mountains and ready to handle a shield and spear? Okay, so there were 11 of these men, and the text goes on to say, it was they who crossed the Jordan when it was overflowing all its banks, and they put to flight everyone living in the valleys to the east and to the west. So more and more men are coming to David every day. And then uh, chapter verse 22 of that, it says, Day after day men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. And this made me think about you ladies. <laughs> because you have come and got, because you want to be armed for to work in God's kingdom. You want to hear from God. And, and we are here. God has brought us leaders, your table leaders and your women, to hear the word of God and to fight shoulder to shoulder. And he has armed you with generosity, compassion, prayer, all the things that you do for each other. And it's wonderful that you have been brought together to do this. We are free here to become this army of God, clothed for battle, with the breastplate of truth and uh, the word of God, the shield and the sword. Okay, back to 27. Then David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. Now David and his men went up, and he raided the Gershurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels, and clothes, 
And then he returned to Akish. And Akish would say, where did you go raiding today? And David would say, against the Negev of Judah. Against the Negev of Jeremiah. Against the Negev of the Canaanites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. Well, I can't leave you like that. I don't want to leave David odious. But this reminds me how messy it is to work in God's kingdom. We have things that happen, and people that we disagree with, and it's just because we're human. So this is what it looks like to be human. And so when we set up our Women at the Well page, we described what we were going to do here this year. And one of the things about looking at First and Second Samuel is to find out what it is to be human in God's plan and to make God's story our story, and God makes our story into his story. So this is what it means to be human, and this is a quotation that we have on our website. This is what it looks like to be human beings. In the reading, as we submit our lives to what we read, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but to see our stories in God's. God is a larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. So this is where we find ourselves, our lives, in the bigger plot of God's story. So let's look quickly at Psalm 54. Because this is, I love to imagine David, now he's got more than 600 men with their families, wives and children, and he sings the songs that he's written to them, they all learn them, and they sing them together. Psalm 54 starts for the director of music with stringed instruments, a masculine of David when the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, isn't David hiding among us? Some men uh, and other women translators of the Bible translate masculine a song, uh, a well-written song. So, verse one, save me, O God, by your name, Vindicate me by your might. A few summers ago, I decided to read through the Psalms, and Tom Brewer loaned me uh, a book. It's called Christ in the Psalms by Patrick Henry Reardon. I went and bought my own. And he says about this psalm, wait for it. We Christians, of course, know that the historical David was himself a prefiguration of the prophecy of the true king yet to come. And so this, uh, the messianic throne in David is fulfilled in Jesus. This is what I taught in about Psalm 10, if you were here with us the 1st of January. That David is talking about his Lord, which is Jesus, and Jesus quotes this psalm to refer to himself. So we come to the Psalms completely with what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians, the mind of Christ, 
This is a song that Jesus probably prayed. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. And this is also a song that we can pray. This is for you and for me. Now, it wouldn't take much to memorize this. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. And then the second verse is, Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. I, when I am really upset, I like to scream this sort of thing at God, not sing it. And the best place for me to scream to God is in my car. How many of you have ever screamed to God in your car? Quite a few. Yes. So you know what I'm talking about. Save me, O oh God, by your name. Vindicate me by your mind. Hear my prayer, O oh God. Listen to the words of my mouth. I'm grabbing you by little pedals, God. Listen to me. And then tell them what's bothering you. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. And Reardon says, ultimately, all the things that are against us and were against Jesus are of demonic origin. So if cancer is attacking you, or people are attacking you for other reasons, or things are upsetting you, all of this, lay it out before God, because underneath all of it, is a demonic source that Jesus died for and conquered on the cross. Verse 4, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. David prayed this. Jesus prayed this. We can pray this. That's why God saved this song. Put it in a book that will not be destroyed. It's going to last forever, and it's yours and it's mine. God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. This is the verse I was thinking. Maybe Abishai was thinking, now's your chance. This is the fulfillment of, of the song you sang last night. But David says, no, there's more. Because God is going to do this. Not us. God is going to do this. And then, I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. So David is ready to sacrifice himself. Jesus is ready to sacrifice himself. And I look out at your faces today, and I know the sacrifices that you make for others, for your family, for your loved ones, for each other. You offer yourself as a free will offering to God. And we can praise his name, for he is good. How often is he good? All the time. All right. Verse 7. You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Jesus is doing that right now in heaven. And he's looking at all your foes and saying, don't worry. I've got your back, and I'm going to defeat them. And I want you to live and experience my victory moment by moment as you're waiting. Because your faith is being shaped and formed to something that is glorious in my sight. So I want you to be able to do this. Now, let's look. We have David's heart and God's heart. It said in verse 13, David was a man after God's heart. 
and in Acts 13.22, it is repeated. And sometimes it just says loyal or faithful, but the actual Hebrew word is uh, according to his heart. Two, David sets aside time for God. And we know that because of all the songs that he wrote, the Psalms. So if you want to set time aside for God, there's a good place to start in the Psalms. But, but David wanted to do this personally, which I'm sure he did when he set aside the time and he wrote those Psalms, but also they, they were to be sung in a community. We are to worship in a community and personally to set aside that time to be brought together. David receives God's love for him. This, I think, when all, with all of the prayer that I do for people, uh, after church, I'm one of the group that prays for people, and we'll be up there at the 11 o'clock service afterwards, and the intervening prayer service that uh, ministry that I'm involved here at church. People receiving the love of God is one of the hardest things to do. They can't understand why God would love them. Or it's too spooky for them to think of God concentrating on them and loving them and being that close to them. But David shows us how to receive that love. And Paul echoes it in Romans 8 when he says, Do you think anyone is able to derive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? No way. Not trouble. Not Saul, David. Nope, not trouble. Not hard times. Not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. Absolutely nothing can get between us and the love because of the way that Jesus, our Lord, has embraced you. He wants to embrace you fully today. David is honest with God. In Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus picks us up on the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you are invited to say the same thing to God. Why have you forsaken me? And God will answer you and vindicate you. And then David is a man after God's heart because he waits for God. Six, David lives in God's story and God lives in in David's story. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relation is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. My story in your story, your story in my story, we are one. I am embracing you and I will show you how to get through this trial, this waiting, whatever it is you're going through. So then, just in closing, I want to say, my heart, God's heart. So, a couple weekends ago, my children rented a house over in Leavenworth for the three-day weekend because it was our 50th wedding anniversary. And all 11 of us were there, and we had a wonderful time talking about God's faithfulness to these two young kids, I was 20, my husband was 22 when we got married, and how God has been faithful to us in all of the things that happened in our lives. And we were able to talk about the good, the bad, and I guess the ugly, and, and all of that 
in sickness and in health, when we didn't have any money, when we had money, all these things over 50 years that God was faithful to us. And then, right before we left, and everybody drove their separate ways, my son-in-law sat down and read this passage out of Lamentations 3. God proves to the good to the man who patiently waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It is a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the Lord will ever walk out and fail to return. He stopped, his stockpiles of loyal love are immense. And now, Kristen, I have a song. We sang it in church a couple days, a couple weeks ago. So this is new to us to figure out how this works. I hope it works. Thank you. 
Amen.